0: This following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. James chapter 3. We'll be picking it up at the 13th verse, where we left off a few weeks back. No surprise to you, we all have this unsatiable desire for want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're always wanting something. It seems like there's this part in our brain and in our hearts that's forever crying out, I want, I want, I want. Of course, we've, we've gotten clever enough to change that word, want, to need. <laughs> and now it's, I need I need, I need. I need those drugs. I need that alcohol. I, I need an adrenaline shot, so I think I'll go bungee jumping. I need, as folks will say, uh, to get on the Internet and view some erotic, immoral something or other. All of this, of course, indicating... Our truest, deepest need at the very core of our being. That which is the only true and lasting need that could be met. It's not by an activity, not by a thing, but by a person. Amen. And that person, as we know, is Jesus Christ. And then once we get that figured out and begin to take begin taking steps following in his steps, we realize we need the wisdom that he offers, wisdom from above in order to be able to navigate through the turbulent, rough, chaotic waters of this world. So rising to the top of our list right after our need of being devoted to Jesus, our Lord, should be this i need wisdom yes, 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 yes. king david's son solomon during his reign over israel was a man unparalleled by any other how was solomon able to accomplish so much during his lifetime second chronicles chapter 1 provides us with the answer When Solomon inherited the kingdom from his father David, God appeared to him in a vision saying, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Can you imagine? (laughs) God coming to you, the God of heaven and earth and saying, whatever you want, I will give it. What would you ask for? What would it be? Well, Solomon didn't choose poorly. He chose wisely by answering this way. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So basically, Solomon is saying, I've inherited an overwhelming task. More than anything else, I need wisdom. I need practical insight into the finer details of life so I can govern your people well. This I ask and nothing more. Tremendous key here in doing life God's way. He's given carte blanche basically. And says, whatever you want, I will give it. And Solomon doesn't ask for stuff, although there would be plenty of that. He asked for that which he knew that he would need to get the job done pertaining to the calling of God on his life. He asked God to give him what he needed to accomplish what he needed to do. Now, about a thousand years later, After Solomon had asked God for wisdom, another descendant of David's came along and wrote these words, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Maybe you remember those words, we covered them Back in chapter 1, verse 5, of this book of James, that descendant of David is, of course, James himself. The writer of those words being, because he is the half-brother of Jesus, right? And son of Mary, descendant of Solomon, descendant of David. Now, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, where we will be this morning, James contrasts the unwise and the wise by painting two word pictures, providing two portraits, really showing and revealing two responses of both the wise and the unwise. He begins with the rhetorical question that reveals to us wisdom is related to the attitudes of our heart. Look at verse 13 with me. Who is wise? And understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The opening question asks How can we show that we indeed have wisdom from on high? This term wise refers to someone with moral insight. And skill in dividing or in deciding practical issues of conduct. Understanding pictures someone with the knowledge of an expert. We are to show the presence of wisdom by good deeds done in humility. Only obedient deeds, James is portraying for us, not just mere talk. Prove the presence of true wisdom. True wisdom, my dear brothers and sisters, is measured by the depth of a person's character. Obviously, we all want to think of ourselves as wise, right? Sure we do. You're right now being wise by not admitting it, right? <laughs> But James says, hang on, wait a minute, not so fast as he kind of inserts here a bit of a tricky twist. In other words, he's saying wisdom is not knowledge with regards to intelligence. This isn't about having the ability to rattle off all kinds of information, facts, or statistics. It is about knowing how to apply knowledge We've received from God, not in terms of trying to make us ourselves look smart, but applying that knowledge to how we live our lives, yes. displayed in our behavior and in our actions throughout whatever the circumstances might be through our daily lives, 24-7, all of our lives. Wisdom that comes from above guides us into living holy lives that honor our God and makes for good and endearing and lasting relationships with others. This term humility refers to a submissive spirit as opposed to self-centeredness, arrogance, or a self-seeking pride. The person with humility is not a doormat for the desires of others but through the Spirit's power and enablement controls and overpowers the natural human tendency that every single one of us have to be what? Arrogant and self-assertive? In other words, to kind of just sort of strut our stuff. Even when you're involved in a disagreement, you must demonstrate a gentleness And the kindness of attitude. Rather than being an erupting volcano. Be instead like the gentle breeze of the spirit of the living God. Refreshing and encouraging and peacemaking. The Bible calls on all believers to show the presence. Of spiritual wisdom in their lives. That will be evident by deeds done in humility. And goodness. James now presents the two different responses I mentioned a moment ago to wisdom, and he begins with the wrong response. In verse 14, would you look at that with me? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it and don't deny the truth of it. The wrong response is a demonstration of what the Bible refers to throughout as a false or worldly wisdom. It destroys unity and instead develops rivalry. That's a a problem. Bitter envy and selfish ambition prove that a person is following the route of worldly twisted wisdom. This term, envy, describes a determined desire to promote one's opinion to the exclusion of others' opinions. Selfish ambition pictures a person who tries to promote a cause or their agenda in an unethical manner. This person becomes willing to use divisive means to promote a personal viewpoint. Is like a bulldozer steamrolling, adopting the attitude, it's my way or the highway. Bitter rivalries, obviously, as we can see, develop out of these types of behavior. Every single one of us in this room have seen that in action, haven't we? James warned that the people who had envy and selfish ambition could be tempted To boast about it and then even deny the truth. Boasting here describes the malicious, triumphant attitude gained by one over another. It's being proud and talking about it, how you crush somebody in your actions and in your behavior. When our true motives are exposed, we can either deny the truth or admit the truth. Our very pride, church, ought to tell us that our desire to be seen and thought of as wise is based on self-centered ambition. The moment that we least want to admit our pride is the very moment <laughs> that you need to admit it and it will do you the best good. In verse 15, James describes the distinctive traits and source of this false worldly wisdom. Look at that verse with me. It says, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It is unspiritual. And then he says, demonic. First of all, we're told false wisdom does not come from heaven. In other words, it is not of God. Its source is earthly. It belongs to the way of this world. And then secondly, it is unspiritual, belonging to this natural fallen world and not to the supernatural kingdom of God. The term unspiritual is used to describe the person who, do, who does not have God's spirit within, nor even has desire to be led by God's spirit. It comes rather from the ideas of fallen human beings, this worldly wisdom. And unfortunately, unfortunately, even we who are followers of Christ are too often guilty of using and relying upon this very false wisdom that comes to us by way of the world, a fallen world. Thirdly, this false wisdom, James says, is demonic. Satan uses it to corrupt everything that pertains to our life. He wants to destroy all our human relationships, including our relationship with the living God. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that worldly wisdom comes straight from demonic beings, though in some cases it may. That could be true. Rather, the emphasis, and I want you to hear this. Please hear this. The emphasis is on wisdom that reflects a philosophy or pattern of thinking. So contrary to God's truth. So contrary to his word that even Satan himself would like it. And ascribe to it. Endorse it. That makes that pretty serious. Don't you think? In verse 16. It shows us the results of envy. And selfish ambition. Being disorder. And every evil practice. That's what it says. Look at verse 16. It says. For where you have envy and selfish ambition. There you will find. Disorder and every evil practice. Disorder describes an experience of chaos and turmoil. Every evil practice pictures an evil from which no good can come from. This would obviously have a negative effect on the gatherings of believers. Can't you see that? Where some... Operating from a fallen worldly wisdom doing their very own thing instead of caring for one another cause unity and community in the church to begin to disintegrate. If there is confusion in your homes or at work and if our lives are in a mess we can be sure that worldly wisdom is having its way and taking its toll. Most of us are aware of some very awesome, encouraging words that Joseph spoke toward the end of his life found in Genesis chapter 50. He's talking to his brothers who, remember, earlier in his life sold him into slavery. He says to them, What you did you meant for evil, but God intended it for good. I mention that because what we have here in this last part of chapter 3 of James is sort of the reverse of that. You see, what God intends to be good with regards to wisdom, the enemy intends to twist it and abuse it and use it against us. John 10.10 tells us his idea, his plan, his scheme is to steal kill and destroy subtly through this worldly twisted wisdom in the last two verses James shifts gears and he now will show us the right response a wisdom that comes from above look at verse 17 but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. If you were counting on your fingers, you just counted no less than eight different characteristics that James lists for us in this one verse of a wisdom that is from above. Now, James has already mentioned the truly wise person back in verse 13. He now will show the characteristics that mark his or hers life and the results that follow when we apply these eight characteristics to our life. So we find here in verse 17, as I just said, these eight characteristics of wisdom that must be present in our lives if we are to truly demonstrate a wisdom that comes from above. These characteristics church, please hear these characteristics are what wisdom does. Okay. So James starts the list off by saying this wisdom is first of all, pure. The word first means more than merely first on a list. It indicates first in order of importance. That's good, isn't it? If this is talking about First, in terms of importance, priority. God-given wisdom produces purity of internal motives which will be reflected in seen in our external actions. This kind of lifestyle comes with the built-in promise given to us by Jesus. You remember what he said? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall See see God. Matthew 5, 8. Purity of thoughts and deeds helps us stay focused on God and see Him working in all of our circumstances. The word translated pure here means clean or free from contamination. (laughs) What kind of contamination? Well, we've already seen it. Envy, (laughs) selfish ambition. Conceit, arrogance. Paul certainly would agree. He wrote in Philippians chapter two, verse three: do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This trait actually provides for us a solid foundation for the characteristics that follow here in verse 17. The second one mentioned is peace-loving. In contrast to worldly wisdom, which produces confusion and strife, heavenly wisdom produces peace. We will not antagonize people and will actively seek to create peace by being peacemakers instead of troublemakers. The natural human tendency is in us is to be argumentative, quarrelsome, maybe even for some belligerent, quick-tempered, but God's supernatural life within us guards against being like that. Jesus has another promise for us with regards to this found in the very next verse of Matthew 5. It's verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the children of God. Next is considerate. This refers to being reasonable to the demands that one makes upon others. The word could be also translated gentle, which means fair, not insisting on the letter of the law. We are not to overreact when someone messes up. It's treating others the way that you and I want to be treated. The term describes a person who surrenders their rights. And right at that point, you're saying, "Eh." (laughs) the person who surrenders their rights for a higher purpose. Amen. Higher purpose. In our day, when people feel that their rights have been violated, they are all so quick. To strike out with the lawsuit no matter how petty the offense might be. That's the world's wisdom. It's petty. It's contentious, selfish, and bitter. But with God's wisdom, we meet these things. Petty violations of our rights with a whole different kind of standard. Are you ready for this? Referring once again to the words of Jesus. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, Jesus said, turn the other to them also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Jesus says, hey, give him your coat as well. And we would say to that, ah, there's no way not doing that. Reflecting our pride and arrogance and our unwise wisdom. But we might ask ourselves, why would Jesus ever tell us to do this? I will tell you why. Because he doesn't need his people running around making enemies of people. He needs us running around winning the lost. Showing them Jesus, his love, his compassion. His grace, His mercy, that's why He tells us to live this way. This is a hard thing, I know. But it is this thing that we must do. And then we find submissive as another characteristic, which indicates a willingness to learn from others by being open To reason. It means being reasonable and compliant. It means we won't always have to have our way. We won't have a know it all attitude and we'll respectfully listen to the ideas and opinions of others. We will listen to suggestions from our spouses, maybe even our children. And we will be open to discussion. But please don't get the wrong ideas. This doesn't mean a wise person is some sort of naive pushover. No, not at all. Rather, it has the sense of being teachable. Just real quickly, oh, how we need teachable in the body of Christ today. It's, you would think that, yeah, uh-huh, that's what we are. Unfortunately, from my perspective, it's a rare thing. Teachable. Somebody who puts aside their stubbornness and readily yields to the truth. It's a person who is flexible and open to change. When the Spirit of God captures the heart and does his deep, deep work within, he softens us. Being submissive means we practice what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice, accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. And then we find full of mercy. It is revealed by offering compassion to those in distress. This means we will be full of gracious forgiveness. We won't keep bringing up past mistakes that are made by others. We will be willing to love and forgive even when the problems that we face are caused by someone else. If grace is giving a person a blessing he or she does not deserve, then mercy is withholding a just punishment that a person does deserve, but not giving it. Mercy implies looking on somebody with compassion when they probably (laughs) may not deserve compassion. In our minds anyway, right? While worldly wisdom would heap on ridicule and pour on judgment and stack up punishment. Mercy shows kindness and patience and the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Next we find it says that it is full of good fruit. This is shown by kind actions and helpful deeds that are done to others like the Good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10. God's wisdom, dear church, is practical. It is full of good fruit. God's wisdom does not make a life empty. (laughs) It does the opposite. It makes it full, abundant Running over, amen. amen? Faithful people are fruitful people because they've given themselves to God, following His wisdom, serving Him in any way, shape, or form, however they're called to do. The final two traits describe the essential nature of true wisdom. It, is, it says impartial, without prejudice, and unwavering in its commitments. We will not show favoritism. And we will be free from prejudice. It is the idea of treating everyone the same. Lastly true wisdom is sincere. In other words it is without hypocrisy. It is genuine. And is open in its approach towards others. Now, we should never ever be, never ever do we want to be some kind of spiritual fake. Amen? Amen. People appreciate honesty and openness, and at the same time, we are all put off by phoniness. Amen? Yeah. Believers equipped with the spirit of wisdom from above will live a life of sincerity. All the masks come off as they follow Jesus and his example. Verse 18 concludes this section with a description of the results. Let's look at that verse. Peacemakers who sow in peace. I really like this. Reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that good? Wow. True wisdom results, James says, in a harvest of righteousness. I I don't know what you picture in your mind when I read those words. I just picture fullness. I picture the blessing of God. The rich blessing of God. A harvest of righteousness. Here meaning in being in conformity to God's will. True wisdom also lets one experience peace. Anybody here like peace? The enjoyment of harmony and togetherness in all of our relationships. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that is literally ruling in our hearts. James makes his point crystal clear. With the ever-present question we've been dealing with today it takes on this form if you claim to have wisdom like you should why do you live like you shouldn't in light of the two contrasting pictures of the wise and unwise in this passage with which portrait do you honestly find yourself? Do you struggle with jealousy over others' successes? Is your life motivated by personal pursuits at the cost of peace? How have these inward feelings and outward actions affected those around you? Do disorder and pettiness Mark your life. Do you pursue the things of the world rather than the things of God? Or is your life characterized by gentleness and humility? Do people know you are a person of mercy, authenticity, and peace? Do you act the same way at home as you do at work? or at church or just in public do you build others up do you rejoice with others in their victories and place the needs and interests of others above your very own do you leave harmony and joy and peace in your wake What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow, and what we sow is what we will reap. If we live in God's wisdom, James tells us we will sow righteousness and peace, and then we will reap The blessings of God. But if we live with fallen, twisted, worldly wisdom, we will sow sin, we will sow discord, and we will reap confusion, disorder, and once again, as James says, every evil practice. Regardless of your assessment of where you find yourself with regards to these portraits, this we can know for sure, church. It's time to stop reflecting our own frail character and start reflecting the character of our God by choosing wisdom that is from above. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning and once again it, it would appear that James has uh, shot an arrow and has been a bullseye directly into our hearts. We've heard truth from your word and your truth does what it always does. It exposes areas of our lives and our hearts that need to be dealt with that need to be brought out into the light of the shining of of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't do as we are tempted to do, but, you know, maybe see it, acknowledge it, but then let it not go any further than that. I pray, Lord, that you would move upon us, every single one of us, to do business with you, to repent if that's what's necessary. to to allow you to come God and do do the cleaning up and the straightening out that is needed that we would stop relying upon this worldly wisdom and begin to look to you and rely upon the wisdom that you provide which brings for us a harvest of righteousness help us God to turn the corner, to take you serious, and in these last days live for you like we've never lived for you before. Giving it all to you, Lord, since you gave your all for us. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com.